with Jess. Today we'll be starting part four of the Blake's Thing Level 4, and this is the last part before the epilogue, so please let me know what you'd like to hear next. Um, I'm on Instagram and Gmail at readingwjess. Alright, I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get it started. <clears throat> April 29th, 1992. Dear friend, I wish I could report that it's getting better here, but unfortunately it isn't. It's hard too, because we started school again and I can't go to the places where I used to go. And it can't be like it was. And I wasn't ready to say goodbye just yet. To tell you the truth, I've just been avoiding everything. I walk around the school hallways and look at the people. I look at the teachers and wonder why they're here. If they like their jobs or us. And I wonder how smart they were when they were 15. Not in a mean way, in a curious way. It's like looking at all the students and wondering who's had their heart broken that day. And how they were able to cope with having three quizzes and a book report on top of that. Or wondering who did the heartbreaking. And wondering why. Especially since I know that if I they had went to another school, the person who had their heart broken would have had their heart broken by somebody else. So why does it have to be so personal? And if I went to another school, I would have never known Sam or Patrick or Mary Elizabeth or anyone except my family. I can tell you one thing that happened. I was in the shopping mall because that's where I go lately. For the last couple of weeks, I've been going there every day, trying to figure out why people go there. It's kind of a personal project. There was this one little boy. He might have been four years old. I'm not sure. He was crying really hard and he kept screaming for his mom. He must have been lost. Then I saw this older kid who was maybe 17. I think he went to a different school because I had never seen him before. Anyway, this older kid who was really rough, tough looking with a leather jacket and long hair and everything went up to the little boy and asked him what his name was. The little boy answered and stopped crying. Then the older kid walked away with the little boy. A minute later, I heard the intercom say to the mom that her boy was at the information desk. So I went to the information desk to see what would happen. I guess the mom had been searching for the little boy for a long time because she came up running to the information desk. And when she saw the little boy, she started crying. She held him tightly and told him to never run off again. Then she thanked the older kid who had helped, and all the other kid was said, all the oh, all that the older kid said was, "Next time, just watch him a little fucking better." Then he walked away. The man with the mustache behind the information desk was speechless. So was the mom. The little boy just wiped his nose, looked up to his mom, and said, "French fries." The mom looked down at the little boy and nodded, and they left. So I followed them. They went to the place where the food stands were, and they got french fries. The little boy was smiling and getting ketchup all over himself, and the mom kept wiping his face in between taking jars off her cigarette. I kept looking at the mom, trying to imagine what she must have looked like when she was young, or if she was married, or if her little boy was an accident or had been planned, and if that made a difference. I saw other people there, old men sitting alone, young girls with blue eye shadow and awkward jaws, little kids who looked really tired, fathers in nice coats who looked even more tired kids working behind the counters of the food places who looked like they hadn't had the will to live for hours. The machines kept opening and closing. The people kept giving money and getting their change, and it all felt very unsettling to me, so I decided to find another place to go and figure out why people go there. Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of places like that. I don't know how much longer I can keep going without a friend. I used to be able to do it very easily, but that was before I knew what having a friend was like. It's much easier not to know things sometimes, and to have french fries with your mom would be enough. The only person I've really talked to in the last two weeks was Susan, the girl who used to go with Michael back in middle school when she had braces. I saw her standing in the hall surrounded by a group of boys I didn't know. They were all laughing and making sex jokes, and Susan was doing her best to laugh along with them. When she saw me approaching the group, her face went ashen. It was almost like she didn't want to remember what she was like 12 months ago, and she certainly didn't want the boys to know that she knew me and used to be my friend. The whole group got quiet and stared at me, but I didn't even notice them. I just looked at Susan, and all I said was, do you ever miss him? I didn't say it mean or accusingly. I just wanted to know if anybody else remembered Michael. To tell you the truth, I was stoned in a bad way, and I couldn't get the question out of my mind. Susan was at a loss. She didn't know what to do. 
These were the first words we had spoken since the end of last year. I guess it wasn't fair of me to ask her in a group like that, but I never see her by herself anymore, and I really needed to know. At first, I thought her blank expression was the result of surprise, but after, it didn't go away for a long while. I knew that it wasn't. It suddenly dawned on me that if Michael were still around, Susan probably wouldn't be going out with him anymore. Not because she's a bad person or shallow or mean, but because things change and friends leave, and life doesn't stop for anybody. I'm sorry I bothered you, Susan. I'm just having a tough time, that's all. Have a good one. I said and walked away. God, that kid is such a fucking freak. I heard one of the boys whisper when I was in the hall, or when I was halfway down the hall. He said it more factually than mean, and Susan didn't correct him. I don't know if I would have corrected him myself these days. Love always. Charlie. May 2nd, 1992. Dear friend, a few days ago I went to see Bob to buy some more pot. I should probably say that I keep forgetting Bob doesn't go to school with us, probably because he watches more television than anyone I know, and he's great with trivia. You should see him talk about Mary Tyler more. It's kind of spooky. Bob has this very specific way of living. He says he takes a shower every other day. He wears his stash daily. He says when you're smoking a cigarette with someone and you have a lighter, you should light their cigarette first, but if you have matches, you should light your cigarette first so you breathe in the harmful sulfur instead of them. He said it's the right thing to do. He also says that it's bad luck to have three on a match. He heard them. He heard that from his uncle who fought in Vietnam. Something about these three, three cigarettes was enough time for this enemy to know where you were. Bob says that when you're alone and you light a cigarette and the cigarette is only halfway lit, that means someone is thinking about you. He also says that when you find a penny, it's only lucky if it's heads up. He says the best thing to do is find a lucky penny when you're with someone and give the other person the good luck. He believes in karma. He also loves to play cards. Bob goes part-time to a local community college. He wants to be a chef. He is an only child and his parents are never home. He used to say... He says it used to bother him a lot when he was younger, but not so much anymore. The thing about Bob is that when you first meet him, he's really interesting because he knows about cigarette rules and pennies and Mary Tyler more. But after you know him, you've known him for a while, he starts to repeat these things. In the last few weeks, he hasn't said anything that I haven't heard from him before. That's what made it such a shock when he told me what happened. Basically, Brad's father caught Brad and Patrick together. I guess that Brad's father didn't know that about his son because when he caught them, Brad's father started beating Brad. Not a slap kind of beating, a belt kind, a real kind. Patrick told Sam, who told Bob, that he had never seen anything like it. I guess it was that bad. He wanted to say stop and you're killing him. He even wanted to hold Brad's father down, but he froze and Brad kept yelling get out to Patrick and finally Patrick just did. That was last week and Brad still hasn't come to school. Everyone thinks he might have been sent to military school or something. Nobody knows for sure about anything. Patrick tried calling once, but when Brad's father answered, he just hung up. Bob said Patrick was in bad shape. I can't tell you how sad I felt when he told me this because I wanted to call Patrick and be his friend and help him, but I didn't know if I should call him because of what he had said about waiting until things got clear. The thing was, I couldn't think about anything else. So on Friday, I went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I waited until the movie had already started before I went into the theater. I didn't want to ruin the show for anybody. I just wanted to see Patrick play Frank and Berta like he always does because I knew that if I saw that, I knew he would be okay, just like my sister getting mad at me for smoking cigarettes. I sat in the back row and looked on the stage. It was still like a couple of scenes before Frank and Fritter enters. That's when I saw Sam playing Janet, and I missed her so much. And I was so sorry about how I messed everything up, especially when I saw Mary Elizabeth playing Magenta. It was all very hard to watch, but then Patrick finally came in as Frank and Fritter, and he was great. He was actually better than, every, than ever in a lot of ways. It was just so nice to see all my friends. I left before the movie was over. I drove home listening to some songs, some of the songs we listened to those times when we were impotent, and I pretended that they were in the car with me. I even talked out loud. I told Patrick how I thought he was great. I asked Sam about Craig. I told Mary Elizabeth that I was sorry about how much and how much I really loved E.E. E. Cummings' book. 
and I wanted to ask her questions about it, but then I stopped because it started to make me too sad. I also thought if anybody saw me talking out loud when I was alone in the car, their looks might convince them that something that the something that's wrong with me might be even worse than I thought. When I got home, my sister was watching a movie with her new boyfriend. There isn't much to say other than his name is Eric, and he has short hair, and he is a junior. Eric had rented the movie. After I shook hands with him, I asked him about the movie because I didn't recognize it except for an actor who used to be on the TV show, and I couldn't remember his name. My sister said, it's stupid, you wouldn't like it. I said, what's it about? She said, come on, Charlie, it's almost over. I said, would it be okay if I watch the end? She said, you can watch it when we're done. I said, well, how about I watch the end with you, and then I can rewind it and watch up to the point I started watching with you. That's when she paused the movie. Can't you take a hint? I suppose not. We want to be alone, Charlie. Oh, I'm sorry. To tell you the truth, I knew she wanted to be alone with Eric, but I really wanted to have some company. I knew it wasn't fair, though, to ruin her night, just because I miss everybody, so I just said goodnight and left. I went up to my room and started reading a new book Bill gave me. It's called The Stranger. Bill said that, that it's very easy to read, but very hard to read well. I have no idea what he means, but I like the book so far. Love always, Charlie. May 8th, 1992. Dear friend, it's strange how things can change back as suddenly as they changed originally, when one thing happens and suddenly things are back to normal. On Monday, Brad came back to school. He looked very different. It wasn't that he was bruised or anything. His face actually looked fine, but before, Brad was always this guy who walked down the hallways with a bounce. I can't really describe it any other way. It's just that some people walk with their heads to the ground for some reason. They don't like to look other people in the eye. Brad was never like that, but now he is, especially when it comes to Patrick. I saw them talking quiet in the hallway. I was too far away to hear what they said, but I could tell that Brad was ignoring Patrick, and when Patrick started to get upset, Brad just closed his locker and walked away. It wasn't that strange, because Brad and Patrick never talked in school since Brad wanted things to be a secret. The strange part was that Patrick would walk up to Brad in the first place, so I guess that they didn't meet on the golf courses anymore or talk on the phone even. Later that afternoon, I was having a cigarette outside by myself, and I saw Patrick alone also having a cigarette. I wasn't close enough to really see him. But I didn't, and I didn't want to interfere with his personal time, so I didn't walk up, but Patrick was crying. He was crying pretty hard. After that, whenever I saw him around anywhere, he didn't look like he was there. He looked like he was someplace else, and I think I knew that, that because that's how people used to say I was. Maybe they still do. I'm not sure. On Thursday, something really terrible happened. I was sitting alone in the cafeteria eating Salisbury steak when I saw Patrick walk up to Brad. He was sitting with his football buddies, and I saw Brad ignore him like he did at the locker. And I saw Patrick get really upset, but Brad still ignored him. Then I saw Patrick say something, and he looked pretty angry as he turned to walk away. Brad sat still for a second, then he turned around. And then I heard it. It was just loud enough for a few tables to hear the thing that Brad yelled at Patrick. Brad's football buddy started laughing. A few tables got quiet. As Patrick turned around, he was mad as hell. I'm not kidding. He stormed up to Brad's table and said, what did you call me? God, he was so mad. I'd never seen Patrick like that before. Brad sat quiet for a second, but his buddies kept egging him on by pushing his shoulders. Brad looked up at Patrick and said, softer and meaner the last time. I called you a... Brad's buddy started laughing even harder, that is, until Patrick threw the first punch. It's kind of eerie when a whole room gets quiet at once, and then the real noise starts. The fight was hard, a lot harder than I had seen, than the one I had with Sean last year. There was no clean punching or things you see in the movies. They were just they just wrestled and hit, and whoever was the most aggressive and the most angry got the most hits. In this case, it was pretty even until Brad's buddies got involved, and it became five on one. That's when I got involved. I just couldn't watch them hurt Patrick, even if things weren't clear just yet. I think anyone who knew me might have been frightened or confused, except maybe my brother. He taught me what to do in these situations. I don't really want to go into detail, except to say by the end of it, Brad and his two buddies stopped fighting and just stared at me. 
His other two friends were lying on the ground. One was clutching the knee I bashed in with one of those metal cafeteria chairs. The other one was holding his face. I, ca- I kind of swiped it at his eyes, but not too bad. I didn't want it to be too bad. I looked down at the ground and I saw Patrick. His face was pretty messed up and he was crying hard, and I helped him to his feet. And then I looked at Brad. I don't think we'd ever really exchanged two words before, but I guess this was the time to start. All I said was, if you ever do this again, I'll tell everyone, and if that doesn't work, I'll blind you. I pointed at his friend who was holding his face, and I knew Brad heard me, and I knew what, and knew what I meant. He didn't say anything back, though, because the security guards at our school came to bring all of us out of the cafeteria. They took us to the first nurse. They took us first to the nurse and then to Mr. Small. Patrick started the fight, so he was suspended for a week. Brad's buddies got three days for ganging up on Patrick after they broke up the original fight. Brad wasn't suspended at all because it was self-defense. I didn't get suspended either because I was just helping to defend a friend when it was 5-on-1. Brad and I got a month's detention starting that day. In detention, Mr. Harris didn't really set up any rules. He just let us read or do homework or talk. It really isn't much of a punishment unless you like the television programs read after school or are very concerned with your permanent record. I wonder if it's all a lie. A permanent record, I mean. On the first day of detention, Brad Brad came to sit next to me. He looked very sad. I think it all kind of hit him after he stopped feeling numb from the fight. Charlie? Yeah. Thanks for stopping him. You're welcome. And that was it. I haven't said anything to him since, and he didn't sit next to me today. At first, when he said it, I was kind of confused, but then I think I got it, because I wouldn't want a bunch of my friends beating up Sam, even if I wasn't allowed to like her anymore, either. When I got out of detention that day, Sam was waiting for me. The minute I saw her, she smiled. I was numb. I just couldn't believe she was really there. Then I saw her turn and give Brad a real cold look. Brad said, tell him I'm sorry. Sam replied, tell him yourself. Brad looked away and walked to his car, and then Sam walked up to me and messed up my hair. So I heard you're this ninja or something. I think I nodded. Sam drove me home in a pickup truck. On the way, she told me that she was really angry at me for doing what I did to Mary Elizabeth. She told me that Mary Elizabeth was a really old friend of hers. She reminded me that Mary Elizabeth was there for her when she went through that tough time she told me about when she gave me the typewriter. I don't really want to repeat what that was. So she said, when I kissed her instead of Mary Elizabeth, I really hurt their friendship for a while because I guess Mary Elizabeth really liked me a lot. That made me feel sad because I didn't know that she liked me that much. I just thought she wanted to expose me to all those great things. That's when Sam said, Charlie, you're so stupid sometimes. Do you know that? Yeah, I really do know that, honest. Then she said that Mary Elizabeth and she got over it and she thanked me for taking Patrick's advice and staying away for as long as I did because it made things easier. So then I said, so we can be friends now? Of course, was all she said. And Patrick? And Patrick. And everyone else? And everyone else. That's when I started crying, but Sam told me to shush. You remember what I said to Brad? Yeah. You told him that he should tell Patrick that he was sorry himself. That goes for Mary Elizabeth, too. I tried, but she told me, I know you tried. I'm telling you to try again. Okay. Sam dropped me off. When she was too far away to see me, I started to cry again because she was my friend again, and that was enough for me. So I made myself promise to never mess up like I did before, and I'm never going to. I can tell you that. When I went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show tonight, it was very tense, not because of Mary Elizabeth. That, that was actually okay. I said I was sorry, and then I asked her if there was anything else she wanted me to, wanted to say to me. And like before, I asked a question and got a very long answer. When I was done listening, I really did listen. I said I was sorry again. Then she thanked me for not trying to make what I did seemed less by offering a lot of excuses, and things were back to normal except we were just friends. To tell you the truth, I think the biggest reason for everything being okay is that Mary Elizabeth started dating one of Craig's friends. His name is Peter, and he's in college, which makes Mary Elizabeth happy again. At the party at Craig's apartment, I overheard Mary Elizabeth say to Alice that she was much happier with Peter because he was opinionated, and they had debates. She said that I was really sweet and understanding, but that our relationship was too one-sided. She wanted a person who could 
who was more open to discussion and I didn't and didn't need someone's permission to talk. I wanted to laugh or maybe get mad or maybe shrug at how strange everything was, especially me. But I was at a party with my friends, so it really didn't matter that much. I just drank because I figured that it was about time to stop smoking so much pot. The thing that made the evening tense was Patrick officially quit doing Frank and Furter in the show. He said that he didn't want to do it anymore, ever, so he sat and watched the show in the audience with me, and he and he said things that were hard to listen to because Patrick, Patrick usually isn't unhappy. You ever think, Charlie, that our group is the same as any other group, like the football team, and the only real difference between us is what we wear and why we wear it? Yeah, and there was this pause. Well, I think it's all bullshit. And he meant it. It was hard to see him mean it that much. Some guy said that I didn't know from somewhere else did the part of Frankenfurter. He had been the second to Patrick for a long time, and now he got his chance. He was pretty good, too. Not as good as Patrick, but pretty good. Love always, Charlie. May 11, 1992. Dear friend, I've been spending a lot of time with Patrick these days. I really haven't said much. I just kind of listen and nod because Patrick needs to talk. But it isn't like it was with Mary Elizabeth. It's different. It started out on a Saturday morning after the show. I was in my bed trying to figure out why sometimes you can wake up and go back to sleep and other times you can't. Then my mom knocked. Your friend Patrick's on the phone. So I got up and wiped away the sleep. Hello, get dressed. I'm on my way. Click. That was it. I actually had a lot of work to do since it was getting closer to the end of the school year, but it sounded like we might be having some kind of adventure, so I got dressed anyway. Patrick pulled up about 10 minutes later. He was wearing the same clothes he wore the night before. He hadn't showered or anything. I don't even think he went to bed. He was just wide awake on coffee and cigarettes and mini fins, which are these small pills you can buy at the quick mart of truck stops. They keep you awake. They're not illegal either, but they make you thirsty. So I climbed into Patrick's car, which was filled with cigarette smoke. He offered me one, but I said, not in front of my house. Your parents don't know you smoke? No, should they? I guess not. Then we started driving fast, and Patrick didn't say much. He just listened to the music on the tape player. After the second song started, I asked him if it was a mixtape I made him for Secret Santa Christmas. I've been listening to it all night. Patrick had this smile all over his face. It was a sick smile, lazy and numb. He just turned up the volume and drove faster. I'll tell you something, Charlie. I feel good. You know what I mean? Really good. Like I'm free of something. Like I don't have to pretend anymore. I'm going away to college, right? It'll be different, you know? What I mean? Sure, I said. I've been thinking all night about what kind of posters I want to put up in my dorm room and if I'll have an exposed brick wall. I've always wanted an exposed brick wall so I can paint it. You know what I mean? I just nodded this time because he didn't really wait for a show. Things will be different there. They have to be. They will be, I said. Really think so? Sure. Thanks, Charlie. That, that's kind of how the day went, how it went all day. We went to see a movie and we ate pizza, and every time Patrick started getting tired, we got coffee and he ate another mini thin or two. When things started turning dusk outside, he showed me all the places he and Brad would meet. He didn't say much about them. He just stared. We ended up at the golf course. We sat on the 18th green, which was pretty high on a hill, and we watched the sun disappear. By this point, Patrick had bought a bottle of red wine with his fake ID, and we passed it back and forth, just talking. Did you hear about Lily, he asked. Who? Lily Miller. I don't know what her real first name was, but they called her Lily. She was a senior when I was a sophomore. I don't think so. I thought your brother would have told you. It's a classic. Maybe. Okay. Stop it. Stop me if you've heard it. Okay. So Lily comes up here with this guy who was the lead in all the plays. Parker. Right, Parker. How did you know him? My sister had a crush on him. Perfect. We were getting pretty drunk, so Parker and Lily come up here one night, and they're so in love, he even gave her this, his thespian pen or something. At this point, Patrick is spitting out wine between sentences. He's laughing so hard. They even had a song, something like Broken Wings by that band Mr. Mister. I don't even know, but I hope it was Broken Wings because it would make the perfect story. Keep going, I encouraged. Okay, okay, he swallowed. 
So they've been going out for a long time, and I think they've even had sex before, but this was going to be a special night. She packed a little picnic, and he brought a boombox to play Broken Wings. Patrick just couldn't get over that song. He laughed for 10 minutes. Okay, okay, I'm so sorry. So they have this picnic and sandwiches and everything. They start to make out. The stereo's playing, and they're just about to do it when Parker realizes he's forgot the condoms. They're both naked on this putting green, so they both want each other. There's no condom. So what did they do? So what do you think happened? I don't know. They did it doggy style with one of the sandwich bags. No, was all I could really say. Yes, was Patrick's rebuttal. God, was my counter. Yes, was Patrick's conclusion. After we shook off the giggles and wasted most of the wine with spit takes, he turned to me. Anyone who know the best part? What? She was the valedictorian and everyone knew it when she went up to give her speech. There's nothing like deep breaths after laughing that hard. Nothing in the world like a sore stomach for the right reasons. It was that great. So Patrick and I shared all the stories we could think of. There was a kid named Barry who used to build kites in their class. Then after school, he would attach firecrackers to the kites and, and fly them and blow it up. He's now studying to be an air traffic controller. Patrick's story via Sam. And then there was this kid named Chip who spent all of his money on, uh, from allowance on, and Christmas and birthdays to buy big bug killing equipment. And he would go to door to door asking if he could kill the bugs for free. My story via my sister. There was a guy named Carl Burns, and everyone called him CB, and one day CB got so drunk at a party that he tried to F the host's dog, Patrick's story. And there was this guy named Action Jack, because supposedly he was caught in masturbating at a drunk party, and at every pet rally, the kids would clap and chant, Action Jack, clap, 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 Action Jack, my story being my brother. There are other stories and other names, second base case who had breasts in the fourth grade and let some of the boys feel them, Vincent who took acid and tried to flush a sofa down the toilet, Sheila who allegedly masturbated with a hot dog and had to go to the emergency room, the list went on and on. By the end, all I could think was what these people must feel like when they go to their classroom rooms. I wonder if they're embarrassed, and I wonder if there's that small price to pay for being a legend. After we sobered up a bit with coffee and many things, Patrick drove me home. The mixtape I made him made for him hit a bunch of winter songs and Patrick turned to me. Thanks, Charlie. Sure. No, I mean in the cafeteria. Sure. After that, it was quiet. He drove me home and pulled up in the driveway. We hugged goodnight and when I was just about to let go, he held me a little tighter and he moved his face to mine and he kissed me. A real kiss. Then he pulled away really slow. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Really, I'm sorry. No, really, it was okay. So he said thanks and hugged me again and moved in to kiss me again, and I just let him. I don't know why. We stayed in the car for a long time. We didn't do anything other than kiss, and he didn't even, and we didn't even do that for very long. After a while, his eyes got this glazing numb look from the wine and, or the coffee or the fact that he had stayed up all night before. Then he started crying. Then he started talking about Brad, and I just let him, because that's what friends are for. Love always. Charlie. May 17th, 1992. Dear friend, it seems like every morning since that first night, I wake up dull and my head hurts and I can't breathe. Patrick and I have been spending a lot of time together. We drink a lot. Actually, it's more like Patrick drinks and I sip. It's just hard to see a friend hurt this much, especially when you can't do anything except be there. I want to make him stop hurting, but I can't, so I just follow him around wherever he wants to, to show me his world. One night, Patrick took me to this park where men go to find each other. Patrick told me that if I didn't want to be bothered by anyone, I should just not make eye contact. He said that eye contact is how you agree to fool around anonymously. Nobody talks, they just find places to go. After a while, Patrick saw someone he liked. He asked me if I needed any cigarettes, and when I said no, he patted my shoulder and walked away with his boy. I just sat on a bench looking around. All I saw were the shadows of people, some on the ground, some by a tree. So I'm just walking. It was so quiet. After a few minutes, I lit a cigarette and I heard somebody whisper. He got an extra 
Cigarette? The voice asked. I turned around and saw a man in shadow. Sure, I said. I reached out to hand the man a cigarette. He took it. You got a light? He said. Sure, I said. And I struck a match for him. Instead of just leaning down and lighting the cigarette, he reached out to make a cup around the match with our hands, which is something we all do when it's windy. But it wasn't windy. I think he just wanted to touch my hands because he, while, while he was lighting the cigarette, he did it for a lot longer than necessary. Maybe he wanted me to see his face over the glow of the match to see how handsome he was. I don't know. He did look familiar, but I couldn't figure it out. He blew out the match, thanks, and exhaled. No problem, I said. Mind if I sit down? He asked. Not really. He sat down and said a few things, and it was his voice. I recognized his voice, so I lit another cigarette and looked at his face again and thought hard, and that's when I figured it out. It was the guy who does the sports on the TV news. Nice night, he said. I couldn't believe it. I guess I managed to nod because he kept talking about sports. He kept talking about how the designated hitter in baseball was bad and why basketball was a commercial success and what teams looked promising in college football. He even mentioned my brother's name, I swear. All I said was, so what's it like being on television? It must have been a long thing to say because he got up and walked away. It was too bad because I wanted to ask him if he thought my brother would make it to the pros. Another night, Patrick took me to this place where they sell poppers, which is a drug you inhale. They didn't have poppers, but the guy behind the counter said that they had something that was just as good, so Patrick bought that. It was in an air, and was in this aerosol can. We both took a sniff, and I swear we both thought we were going to die of a heart attack. All in all, I think Patrick took me to about every other, every place there was to go, and I wouldn't have known about otherwise. There was this karaoke bar in one of the main streets in the city, all all there was this dance club, and there was one bathroom in, the, in all these places. Sometimes Patrick would pick up guys, sometimes he wouldn't. He said it was hard being safe, and you never know. The nights he would pick up someone always made him sad. It's hard, too, because Patrick began every night really excited. He always said he felt free, and tonight was his destiny, and things like that. But by the end of the night, he just looked sad. Sometimes he would talk about Brad, sometimes he wouldn't. But after a while, the whole thing just wasn't interesting to him anymore and he ran out of things to keep himself numb so tonight he dropped me off at home it was the night we went to the park where men met and the night he saw brad with some other guy brad was too into what he was doing to notice us patrick didn't say anything he didn't do anything he just walked back to the car and we drove in silence on the way he threw a bottle of wine out the window and it landed with a crash and this time he didn't try to kiss me like he had every night he just thanked me for being his friend and drove away. May 21st, 1992. Dear friend, the school year is just about over. We have another month or so to go. But the seniors like my sister and Sam and Patrick only have a couple of weeks. Then they have prom and graduation and they are all busy making plans. Mary Elizabeth is taking her new boyfriend, Peter. My sister is taking Eric. Patrick is going with Alice. And Craig agreed to go with Sam this time. They even rented a limo and everything. Not my sister, though. She's just going in her, boy her new boyfriend's car, which is a Buick. Phil has been very sentimental lately because he can feel his first year of teaching coming to an end. At least, that's what he said to me. He was planning on moving to New York and writing plays, but he told me that he doesn't really think he wants to anymore. He really likes teaching kids English and thinks maybe he can take over the drama department too next year. I think he's being... He, I think he's been thinking about this a lot because he hasn't given me a new book to read since The Stranger. He didn't ask me to watch a lot of movies, though, and write an essay about what I thought about all of those movies. The movies were The Graduate, Harold and Maude, My Life as a Dog, which had subtitles, Dead Poet Society, and a movie called The Unbelievable Truth, which was very hard to find. I watched all the movies in one day. It was quite great. The essay I wrote was very similar to the past few essays I wrote 
because everything Bill tells me to read or see or similar except the time he had me read Naked Lunch. Incidentally, he told me he had given me that book because he had just broken up with his girlfriend and was feeling philosophical. I guess that's why he was sad that afternoon when we talked about on the road. He apologized for letting his personal life affect his teaching, and I accepted because I didn't know what else to do. It's strange to think about your teachers as being people, even when they're Bill. I guess he has since made up with his girlfriend. They're living together now, at least that's what he said. So in school, Bill gave me the final book to read for the year. It's called The Fountainhead, and it's very long. When he gave me that book, Bill said, be skeptical about this one. It's a great book, but try to be a filter, not a sponge. Sometimes I think Bill forgets that I'm 16, but I'm very happy that he does. I haven't started reading it because I am very behind in my other classes because I spent so much time with Patrick. But if I can catch up, I will end my first year with straight A's, which makes me very happy. I almost didn't get an A in math, but then Mr. Carlo told me to stop asking why all the time and just follow the formulas. So I did. Now I get perfect scores on all of my tests. I just wish I knew what the formulas did. I honestly have no idea. I was just thinking about when I wrote to you because I was afraid about starting high school. Today I feel good, so that's kind of funny. By the way, Patrick stopped drinking that night. He saw Brad in the park. I guess he's feeling better. He just wants to graduate and go to college now. I saw Brad in detention on Monday after I saw him at the park, and he looked just like he always does. Love always. Charlie. May 27th, 1992. Dear friend, I've been reading The Fountainhead for the past few days, and it's an excellent book. I read on the back cover that the author was born in Russia and came to America when she was young. She barely spoke English, and she wanted to be a great writer. I thought that was very admirable, so I sat down and tried to write a story. Ian MacArthur is a wonderful, sweet fellow who wears glasses and peers out of them at the light. That was the first sentence. The problem was that I just couldn't think of the next one. After cleaning my room three times, I decided to leave Ian alone for a while because I was starting to get mad at him. I've had a lot of time to write and read and think about things this past week because everyone is busy with prom and graduation schedules. Next Friday is their last day, and then prom is on Tuesday, which I thought was strange because I thought it would be on a weekend. And Sam told me that every school can't have their prom on the same night or there wouldn't be enough tuxedos and restaurants to go around. I said it felt very well planned, and then Sunday is their graduation. It all feels very exciting. I wish it were happening to me. I wondered. I wonder what it will be like when I leave this place. The fact that I will have to have a roommate and buy shampoo. I thought how great it would be to go to my senior prom three years from now with Sam. I hope it's on a Friday. And I hope I will be valedictorian at graduation. I wonder what my speech will be. And if Bill would help me with it if he didn't go to New York and write plays. Or maybe he would even... Or maybe he would, even if he was in New York writing plays. I think that would be especially nice of him. I didn't, I don't know. The Fountainhead is a very good book. I hope I am being a filter. Love always, Charlie. June 2nd, 1992. Dear friend, did you have a senior prank? I'm guessing you probably did because my sister said it's a tradition of a lot of schools. This year, the prank was as follows. Some seniors filled the swimming pool with about 6,000 packages of grape boy. I have no idea who thinks of these things or why, except that the senior prank is supposed to signify the end of school. What this has to do with a great pool is beyond me but I was very happy not to have Jim. It's actually been a very exciting time because we've all been busy finishing up the year. This Friday is the last day of school for all of my friends and my sister. They've been talking about their prom nonstop. Even the people that think it's a joke, like Mary Elizabeth can't stop, stop talking about what a joke it is. It's all very fun to witness. So by this time, everyone has finally figured out what which school is he or she is going to next year. Patrick is going to the University of Washington because he wants to be near the music there. He says he thinks he wants to work for a record company someday. Maybe be a publicist or a person who finds new bands someday. Maybe be a pub 
um, Sam finally made her decision to leave early for the summer program at the College of Her Choice. I love that expression. College of My Choice. Safety school is another favorite. The thing was that Sam got into two schools, the College of Her Choice and a safety school. She could have started at the safety school in, in fall, but in order to go to the College of Her Choice, she had to do the special summer program just like my brother. That's right. The school is Penn State, which is so great now, which is so great because now I can visit my brother and Sam with one trip. I don't want to think about Sam leaving just yet, but I did wonder what would happen if she and my brother ever started dating, which is stupid because they are nothing alike and Sam is in love with Craig. I have to stop doing this. My sister is going to a small liberal arts college back east called Sarah Lawrence. She almost didn't get in, be, get to go because it cost a lot of money, but then she got an academic scholarship through the Rotary Club or Moose Lodge or something like that, which I thought was very generous of them. My sister is going to the, be the second in her class. I thought she might have been valedictorian, but she got a B when she was going through that rough time with her old boyfriend. Mary Elizabeth is going to Berkeley, and Alice is going to study movies at New York University. I never even knew she liked movies, but I guess she does. She calls them films. Incidentally, I finished The Fountainhead. It was a really great experience. It's strange to describe reading a book as a really great experience, but that's kind of how it felt. It was a different book from the others because it wasn't about being a kid, and it wasn't like The Stranger or The Naked Lunch, even though I think it was philosophical, philosophical in a way, but it, it wasn't like you had to really search for the philosophy. It was pretty straightforward, I thought, and the great part is that I took what the author wrote and put it in terms of my own life. Maybe that's what being a filter means. I'm not sure. There was this one part where the main character, who is the who is this architect, is sitting on a boat with his best friend, who is a newspaper tycoon. And the newspaper tycoon says the architect is a very cold man. The architect replies that if the boat were sinking and there was only room in the lifeboat for one person, he would gladly give up his life for the newspaper tycoon. And then he says something like this, I would die for you, but I won't live for you. Something like that. I think the idea is that every person has to live for his or own life and then make the choice to share it with other people. Maybe that is what it makes people participate. I'm not really sure because I don't know if I would mind living for Sam for a while. Then again, she wouldn't want me to, so maybe it's a lot friendlier than all that. I hope so anyway. I told my psychiatrist about the book and, and Bill and about Sam and Patrick and all their colleges, but he just keeps asking me questions about when I was younger. The thing is, I feel like I'm just repeating the same memories to him. I don't know. He says it's important. I guess we'll have to see. I would write a little more today, but I have to learn my math formulas for the final on Thursday. Wish me luck. Love always, Charlie. That's where we're going to leave off today um, in part four. I will be back soon to finish the rest of part four and read the epilogue. I hope you guys are enjoying.